You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid he copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And today on the show, there are a couple of, I guess, nitty gritty things that I wanted to go over with everybody because we haven't really talked a lot about the compensatory pick formula thing yet and this is kind of the time of year for it now the vikings are projected to get a fourth and a sixth round pick next year those projections are done by a guy named nick cordy who is very very good at reverse engineering the compensatory formula but even he know admits that you know this year because everything was so weird and the cap went down and and he doesn't really know how that's going to affect things so that's all just a projection i guess and the actual official awarding of compensatory picks hasn't gone down yet we don't know specifically what the vikings have but i can at least explain a little bit to you about that process. And we can also talk about what free agency this year could look like for the Vikings and how it could possibly affect the compensatory pick formula. There's also a couple of interesting rule change proposals. The competition committee and the NFL owners and everybody are still going to have to vote on them. There's a lot that has to happen with uh, that process before those rule changes are actually enacted. But there's some really interesting ideas, and I look forward to discussing them. One thing I guess I should mention, but I'm going to gloss over because I don't think it's particularly valuable. Rick Spielman did a presser on just going into free agency and answered a whole bunch of questions. He talked a little bit about Daniel Hunter. He kind of uh, squashed any rumor there. He talked a lot about the situations with like Riley Reef, Anthony Barr and all that. Um, He basically just like didn't acknowledge any of the rumors or conjecture going around right now. He didn't really uh, give the time of day to Kirk Cousins rumors or Anthony Barr or Daniel Hunter rumors. And mostly just sort of resorted to the same old kind of cliches. We're not going to go here or there. I'm not going to tell you if I'm trading down or not. So you might see a lot of headlines on, you know, and and maybe even quotes taken out of context of, you know, oh, he said Kirk Cousins is our quarterback. Well, of course he said that. Whether or not, you know, he was trying to trade Kirk Cousins, he would say the same thing, right? If he's not trying to trade Kirk Cousins, he would say, well, I'm not trying to trade Kirk Cousins. Why would you think that? If he is, he would say, well, I'm not trying to trade Kirk Cousins to, you know, up the value, which is something that he's done in the past with like Percy Harvin or whatever. So you you don't have to worry about the uh, headlines and quotes and stuff you're going to see out of that Rick Spielman thing. I can tell you right now, not much of value can be discerned that we didn't already know. Uh, and if you think you can like go read his words and pick it apart, it's very clear that during that he was trying not to divulge any information. This is smoke season. This is lying season. So anything you hear from a GM right now is probably not worth hanging your hat on. So instead, let's talk about some of the really interesting stuff going on around the league. And I want to start with some of those rule changes. The first one I want to start with is one that comes from the Eagles, and it's one that we have seen before. Of course, onside kicks are almost impossible. Unless you are specifically Young Way Koo, you are probably not going to see many onside kicks actually be converted. And maybe that's okay, right? Onside kicks are a tool primarily used by teams that are losing. And if you are losing, you probably don't deserve to have the rules help you out very much. But I am not really of that camp. I'm more of the in the camp of let's make things interesting. Let's make things kind of intuitive and fair and interesting. And I think comebacks 
are cool, and I would love to encourage more comebacks just in the spirit of a better entertainment product. So the proposal is to replace the kickoff with a 4th and 15. Now, that might seem a little bit insane to go right back, you know, send your offense right back out there after they score a touchdown or whatever, but... Here is the the logic is most of the time a team is just going to punt from there. So if you say, you know, at fourth and 15 from your own 25, you punt it teams or, you know, whatever yard line that has to be for uh, it to be on average starting field position on the other side, on the other side's 25 yard line where a, a kickoff touchback would be, or you could just punt a touchback or whatever, or you could even make it an option where if you're not interested in doing the onside fourth and 15, whatever, you could just line up, do a kickoff like normal, nothing would change. But if you wanted to try to get the ball back, you could go for this fourth and 15 and of course if you don't get it then it's a fourth and 15 the other team gets possession right where you left it off and all that stuff but if you do get it uh you know the comeback is on as it were and the reason it was a fourth and 15 now this was this uh was an idea i think greg shiano came up with it first or was one of the first pioneers of this idea and it's been kind of in this uh, it's been lost in this like competition committee stage for a long time, but the point of it would be that fourth and fifteens are converted at about the rate that onside kicks were converted when this idea first sort of uh, cropped up. And I would imagine you might have to fiddle with some of the dials a little bit. It might have to become a fourth and twenty or fourth and you know eighteen or something like that. But the idea would be to simulate the same number of conversions. You can't give them a fourth and five, right? And then every team would just go for that, and you would have these kind of crazy make it take it kind of streaks right you can't have that but giving a team an iota of hope beyond the awkward onside kick and i've never been a fan of the onside kick. you know i'm gonna link the john boyce kickoffs thing uh that i've talked about a couple times on this show this week it keeps coming up um but the onside kick has always been kind of an ugly play to me it just it doesn't make for a particularly like aesthetic experience watching football and yeah there is the suspense of who will get the ball but it's really that suspense can be achieved in a lot of ways that I think are a little bit better tests for how good a football team is at football. The thing about an onside kick is that it relies on the bounce of a football, and it is entirely left up to chance. So I think my favorite argument for the 4th and 15 is that it is up to a lot less variance. You don't need a a proper bounce of the ball to get your onside kick back. You need to execute a 4th and 15. It's a really hard thing to do, and if you can pull it off, yeah, I'd say you've earned yourself another possession. Now again, everybody has to vote on this, the owners have to vote on this and all that stuff, and it probably just dies on the floor of the committee just like it always does. But it's always worth a little bit of a a discussion to me because I think it would just make the game a little bit better. And I think it would very importantly make the game a better referendum on skill, which let's be honest, football is not the greatest referendum on football skill because of all the luck that goes into it. The ball is bounced, is, is shaped funny. And so it bounces weird ways. There's fumble luck, there's officiating luck, and a lot of officiating problems are kind of equalizers and stuff. And that does make it more entertaining. And there's a lot of parody and stuff. But I think we can all agree that an idea that makes certain moments of the game more skill intensive instead of less skill intensive is one that we can all get behind. So there's a couple other rules I want to go over, and I also want to go over the compensatory stuff with all of you. But first, let's chat a little bit about gambling. Bet online is the best place to find all of your news, sports, and odds. You can bet on NFL futures, like maybe you think the Vikings will win the NFC North in 2021. Right now, the odds of that are pretty lucrative if you wanted to go drop a buck, or maybe you want to bet on other sports like the NBA, MLB, NHL, or even other stuff like reality TV or award shows, what have you. You can find all of that stuff 
at betonline.ag. And right now, if you enter promo code Locked On when you first sign up, if you don't have an account, go over to betonline.ag. You can sign up easy on your computer or your mobile device. And when you first sign up, you do your first deposit, enter promo code Locked On. It all one word. It'll give you a fifty percent welcome bonus. That means if you deposit five hundred bucks, you'll actually have seven hundred and fifty bucks to play with, all for free, all just for the promo code. It's what I'm doing for you to help you and your grambling future. Head on over to betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Today on the Locked On Today podcast, Harden heads back to Houston with his new team. You can get all of the coverage about that and all the sports news you need in less time under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast hosted by Peter Bukowski, a frequent guest at least twice a year on this show. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get your podcasts. So there's two other rule changes that were proposed that I found really interesting and wanted to discuss. One of them comes from the Bills, the other one comes from the Ravens. Let's talk about the Bills one first. And this one is probably the most impactful one. It would bar uh, coaches and G- or, uh, coach vacancies and GM vacancies from interviewing candidates until after the conference championship, and you also wouldn't be able to hire anyone until after the Super Bowl. You might remember the Vikings had an experience with this a few years ago. They were in the playoffs with Pat Shermer as offensive coordinator. He was interviewing for the Giants' job throughout uh, the entire like playoff run, and people kind of said, like, did that distract him? Did that contribute to the Vikings losing to the Eagles in that NFC Championship game? And I guess the Bills of all teams would maybe have some reason to be upset about that. After all, Brian Dable was interviewing for head coaching jobs and was all over the headlines and all over the circuits throughout their whole playoff run, and they fell short in the championship game, and so proposing this rule makes sense from their end. But I think that would be really interesting because of how it would affect the mid-season firings in the NFL. That is kind of a thing. It's a staple. You get Bill O'Brien's and Dan Quinn's that get fired in the middle of the season, and it would definitely change the dynamics around that, obviously. You might not want to be a Black Monday firing. You might want to be able to get a head start on your coaching search, especially if, you know, come the postseason, if you don't have a good sense, you're just going to have to kind of sit and wait. Now, it's unclear to me, at least looking at this proposal, uh, how exactly it would affect interviews in the middle of the season. If you fire your guy in week five, can you, you know, talk to somebody else on their bye week? I don't know exactly how it would affect that whole thing. But even so, if there's just an interviewing and hiring freeze during the postseason, season, it would change the dynamics of that quite a bit. There wouldn't maybe be as much of an incentive to fire your coach in the middle of the season. That might actually give coaches, you know, let's say you start 0-5 and you had a, a late season run in you that made the season look good and might have saved your job. Maybe more coaches stick around to see that because the advantages of being early on the coaching search won't necessarily be there so much if you can't hire somebody until after the Super Bowl. It'll also change, I think, a lot about how candidates look. You know, I mean, if you win the Super Bowl, you might be in line for a job that otherwise would have already been filled. By the time the Super Bowl was actually played, I think there were only like, what, one or two coaching vacancies left in the the whole league. Everybody else had kind of hired their guy. And a big part of this is because you need a head coach in January because there's work to be done. There's draft work, there's cap work, there's decisions to be made on all of your players and stuff like that. Imagine not having a coach and just kind of having to rush through all of that at the very beginning and with a brand new head coach too. Like that's a situation you kind of want to avoid. So a lot of people uh, in the league are actually against it for that exact reason. If I fire my head coach, I want to be able to get that guy in the building as soon as possible so I can catch up on all the offseason work that needs to be done while everybody in the playoffs is playing their playoff games. It's a very interesting proposal. Personally, 
I think the the biggest factor, positive or negative on either side that really jumps out to me is the idea that you could be, you know, Todd Bowles or Byron Leftwich, right? Todd Bowles had an unbelievable Super Bowl performance, unbelievable performances all through the playoffs in terms of calling plays. And he might have earned himself a head coaching job, but those vacancies were all filled by the time he was actually able to, you know, step away from uh, winning the Super Bowl and going to, you know, actually look at those those vacancies. And he might have missed out on an opportunity. Next time there's an opportunity, the Super Bowl will be a much more distant memory. And, you know, maybe he'll have to do something else to kind of get back into the forefront of GM's minds. That's an unfortunate beat. I think it'd be pretty cool if there was a system that, you know, kind of rewarded postseason excellence a little bit more. After all, those games tend to be pretty important in terms of deciding who actually wins the Super Bowl. So maybe forcing teams to wait to see those things would make for better hiring decisions anyways. I think I would be in favor of this, but I could absolutely understand the uh, the arguments against it in terms of how it would affect the offseason calendar for teams that fired their head coach. But hey, also, I think incentives against firing head coaches are also a good thing. I don't think it's good for the NFL for teams to be cycling through head coaches every two years if they don't have immediate success. I think a little bit of patience could do the whole thing well. And the last one I want to talk about comes from the Ravens. This one is fascinating to me, but it's a change to overtime rules, uh, and it's seems to be aimed at kind of taking the power away from the coin flip, which I think in principle we can all pretty much get behind. But instead of choosing to kick or defer, the choice would be the the coin flip winner gets to choose where to spot the ball, and the coin flip loser chooses offense or defense first. That sounds insane, right? It sounds really uh, crazy. But apparently this has been something that that uh, people have been kind of proposing for a long time, according to the PFT article that I'm sourcing here. This was floated back in like 2003. So I guess it's not a new idea. I just hadn't heard of it. But it is kind of interesting. And the idea would essentially be, listen, if you, know, if you can't pick who is on offense or defense or whatever, you can at least choose to back them up. But don't go too far. There's a little bit of gamesmanship to it, right? Because if you say, oh, well, we'll just go offense is one yard line. And then you go, okay, well, then we'll start on defense and good luck you're you know super backed up or if you do like really trust your offense maybe you go for uh you know all right fine we'll put the ball on the offense's 10 yard line our offense can you know drive 90 yards can yours and and kind of challenge the other team that way or you can say our defense can stop anything we're going to put the ball on the offense's 40 and if you want to take the ball go for it we think we can stop you know, there's a little bit of gamesmanship to it that i would find really interesting and according to uh the pft article and of course i'll, I'll link it in the show notes for you uh, about the 13 or 14 would be kind of the tipping point. So you would probably come to a situation where all overtime drives just kind of start around, you know, call it the 15, 13, 14 yard line. Um, and, and I think the biggest argument against it that I can think of is that this will lead to a lot more ties because, you know, teams will stall out and then they will punt. And if they stall out and punt and go back and forth, you know, you'll you'll end up with a lot more ties. I've always been, I mean, I if you follow me on Twitter, uh, you might think that I love ties. I don't. I think that they're hilarious, and uh, I think, but I think that they're 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 suffering. I don't think it's any fun to watch a whole football game, seventy five minutes of football, and then not come away with a winner. Even if, like, I would rather determine it with questionable fairness than not determine it at all. Um, that's just me, though. So if this were to lead to more ties, I would be against it. But I could also be talked out of uh, the fact that it would lead to more ties in the first place. Maybe it just would lead to fewer overtimes ending on the first possession, which. I think we can all get behind. I still am a big fan of just kind of using college rules, not the entire set of college rules where, you know, you start on the yard line or whatever, um, but more just the idea that, hey, 
just give each team a, a chance to possess the ball. If the first team goes down and scores a touchdown, the second team has to go down and match it. Um, but from like a kickoff, from a whole standpoint like that, if they run out of time, too bad. If they don't get there, too bad. I don't think, th- I, like, I, I don't really think that that would cause any particularly unfair situations. And I think that we could probably get behind that. But this is certainly an interesting variant on that more or less that same idea of taking the power away from the coin toss. Now, you definitely don't want to leave things with your automobile up to chance. And you've, you've all heard the old adage, everybody's parents told them this about their cars. Make sure you get that weird noise taken care of. Don't let things get out of hand. The longer you defer fixing something with your car, the more expensive it's going to be ultimately. And if you end up, unfortunately, in a situation where you do need a new carport, maybe you're just a uh, do-it-yourselfer, or you just need random accessories. Like, do you have jumper cables in your car? You'd be surprised how many people don't. And for any kind of stuff like that, you can head over to rockauto.com. They have an unbelievably expansive catalog. Just enter your make, your year, your model, and what you want to buy, and they will set up everything for you. They'll sort out all of the other brands that aren't necessarily compatible with your car. So if you're buying oil, if you are buying a part, you'll know you're getting something that is right for your car, and you'll save a book doing it as well because they don't have separate prices for their retail customers and their wholesale buyers. Everybody pays the same price, and that means you get to save a dime or two. So head on over to rockauto.com and on checkout, make sure you go to the how you heard about us section and let them know that Locked On sent you. Because if you don't, I'm going to have to find a way to befriend the family of bobcats that keep circling my camp at night. And I'm worried about how that's going to go. Rock Auto, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. If you're like me and you lost way too many bets this year, maybe you need a little bit of advice. And a great place to go for that advice is the Locked On Bets podcast. It's hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. You can get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favored picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Subscribe to the Locked On Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get your podcasts. So the last thing I want to talk to you about is compensatory picks. This is a fairly confusing thing and part of what's confusing about it is that we don't actually know the full formula for how compensatory picks are decided. All we have is what compensatory picks were awarded in the past, what those contracts were and we can reverse engineer the best we can. Now, Nick Corti, he works for Over the Cap or he writes for Over the Cap and he's done a lot of the work of reverse engineering the compensatory pick formula, but even he doesn't really know how things are going to be affected uh, in 2021 because of how weird 2020 was and COVID and how it affects everything. So there's a little bit of uncertainty, but here's where we stand right now. It's very likely that Trey Waynes is going to net the Vikings a third round pick and that Mackenzie Alexander is going to net the Vikings a sixth round pick. However, because Trey Waynes didn't uh, play for Cincinnati in 2020. He got hurt. Of course, that third rounder is going to be demoted to a fourth rounder. So that's how it all works. On a very basic level, compensatory picks are meant to compensate you for when you lose free agents uh, to expiring contracts. And it has to be specifically expiring contracts. So the way the system works, more or less, is take every compensatory free agent, and a compensatory free agent is one that uh, is coming off of an expiring contract. So Kyle Rudolph, not a compensatory free agent. He doesn't count toward this formula, and he won't net the Vikings a pick, and whoever signs him won't have to give up a compensatory pick to do so. So then you look at who uh, signs where, and you look at each team and kind of figure out who cancels out 
with what, let's say, you know, a team loses four compensatory free agents, but signs three compensatory free agents, you'll look at all of their different contracts, you kind of match up whichever ones are similar, cancel those out, and whichever uh, compensatory free agent is left over, that team gets that compensatory pick, whatever it is. So you look at all of those, and you probably cancel a lot of signings out. And once you have the, you know, the kind of final signings, you'll probably have a list of compensatory free agents left over, and the top 32 of those actually award their teams with a compensatory pick. Roughly, that's how it works. And the part that is, I guess, a little bit more nebulous and difficult to figure out is how it is determined what that pick is. If it's a third round pick, if it's a seventh round pick, and how they're all ordered against each other. Obviously, contract size has has a lot to do with it, but also playing time, um, you know, incentives in the contract, all that stuff, how it actually factors into the formula is a lot of what Nick Cordy tries to figure out every year. And there are ways to manipulate the compensatory pick formula. Famously, the Ravens are excellent at this. Bill Belichick's always been excellent at this. But there are a lot of ways to acquire players that doesn't that don't affect your compensatory formula. The thing is, if you lose a player that's going to go sign a huge deal somewhere, like with the Vikings, they're going to lose Anthony Harris and he goes and signs a huge deal elsewhere. And if the Vikings then sign somebody else to a huge deal, they don't get the pick, right? That all will cancel out. But if they sign somebody to a huge deal, that was just released, like if they went out and signed, say, Golden Tate, who the Giants just released, he won't count toward the compensatory formula. So you would still get whatever compensatory picks back that you're going to get for Anthony Harris or Eric Wilson or or whoever, right? And those are really, those are the two players I think that are most likely to give the Vikings compensatory picks. Um, you could also make arguments for Rashad Hill and Ifadi Odenabo, also pending free agents. Odenabo is a pending restricted free agent, so you could tender him and Rashad Hill uh, just played on a tender and he might go somewhere if somebody thinks that he can start maybe he gets a contract but I don't think those contracts will be big enough to crack that top 32 threshold and actually net a compensatory pick for the Vikings what I would guess is that you get one from Harris you get one from Wilson and I don't know what's going to happen to Adenabo he might just get re-signed or tendered or whatever anyways so I would guess that there's going to be those two and whatever free agents the Vikings sign will cancel out there accordingly but again you know the Vikings don't have a lot of money and they might not sign a lot of free agents. And kind of the whole point of the compensatory pick system is for that exact situation where you're going to lose a bunch of players and you don't have a lot of cap space, so you can't replace those players, so here's draft picks so you can field a roster. They're not going to be premier assets, right? And they come at the end of the round, so, you know, a late third rounder, late fourth rounders, those aren't exactly, like, premier assets. Those are like Jalen Holmes's, right? But it's something to help you fill out your roster so that you can actually field a team if you get yourself into cap trouble. And, of course, the Vikings are in cap trouble and compensatory picks are always welcome. Something the Patriots will very often do is they will, you know, let a free agent walk and then they'll trade for a player to replace that free agent with a pick that's less than what that compensatory pick would be. So if you know you let somebody walk, you get a, a third round pick back and then you trade for that player's replacement with a fifth round pick. Trading late picks for veterans is always a great thing to do if you can uh, find a way to get there. Then, you know, you can get your compensatory pick and you can get your player and you can kind of have your cake and eat it too that way. All this being said, you know, these are day three picks for the most part. So going after and, you know, like really tailoring your whole free agent strategy after compensatory picks, you're probably missing the forest for the trees, but it definitely factors in to some degree. I've always been of the opinion that your evaluation of the player needs to be the top thing, not the compensatory picks, not the cap, not the salary and the, the positional value and all that stuff. Just is the player good or not always needs to be the 1A thing. And I think we forget that too often, but 
all the other things are definitely part of that and will affect the calculus and will shift things up and down. So it's something to be aware of the compensatory pit, like whether or not somebody's a compensatory free agent is always something to look in on when you're trying to dream up your favorite free agent targets. So tomorrow I want to go through one more uh, free agency position group. I want to make sure I get through as many of these as possible before actual free agency begins, but we've got like a week and change until tampering starts and, and it's time and we'll probably have more news to cover as more things need to be done. The Vikings are about uh, $9 million over and $180 million cap. That's the floor. So that's as bad as it can get right now is $9 million over uh, after the Kyle Rudolph cut. So more stuff needs to be done. There will be news between now and March 17th and I'll be here to cover it with you. Until then, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL, shows on Twitter at LockedOnVikings, and I will see y'all tomorrow. And as always, Skull.